You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Before we begin my message today, uh, which we're closing the series, as Alina mentioned, uh, I have to preface with this, that this message um, is, can be applied to every relationship. You can apply this message to all kinds of relationships, but I felt impressed in my heart to communicate it from a marriage perspective. So if, if, if you're here and you want to be married, or maybe you were married and it didn't work out, and you're working through that, uh, I believe this will be very helpful to you. Uh, but if you're here today and you're happily single, and you've been single your whole life, and you want to be single, uh, and you don't see marriage in your future, this will also be helpful. Um, I know that marriage, you know, in our in our culture, is kind of a source of pressure for people who are single, and sometimes, you know, people idolize marriage to a level that stigmatizes singleness. And so, don't don't feel that pressure during this message. Um, you can totally take this message and apply to the closest relationship. So every time I mention marriage or a married uh, thing, just apply it to your closest relationship, adapt it. I just felt impressed in my heart to communicate it to marriage people. So all my, my, my language is going to be toward marriage, but you can apply that uh, to your life as well. And by the way, if you're single, your singleness is holy. Like you're, you're whole. You can be whole and single. In fact, you should be. And so don't, don't, you know, don't feel pressure or anything. I, I really dislike when, when a society or, or just cultures or families or whatever um, put, make singleness less than. A single, single, singleness is, is a, special, uh, a special thing to be prized. All right? Amen. All right. So like I said, I feel impressed to communicate to married people, married people, and that's the language that I'm going to use, because I think that uh, there's some need for repair and healing, which is the premise of, of this, this series, especially because of the last 19 months we've had. And I talk to a lot of pastors, a lot of friends, a lot of people who are not even in the church realm, and a lot of marriages have suffered in these last 19 months. Something about the closeness, the togetherness, something about, uh, you know, the pressure that your home used to be your sanctuary. Now it's your office. Now it's your school, right? Well, not anymore, but he, like for about a year, your home was everything. It was the shopping mall because we bought everything online. It was your grocery store because <laughs> you bought groceries online. It was your office because you had to set up a desk to work at home. It was the school because if you have kids who are in school age, you had to set up their laptops so they could have school via Zoom. And, and so all of that pressure kind of brought uh, uh, a lot of dysfunction in homes. And I know a lot of people whose marriages, I know some people whose marriages have not survived these 19 months. So I want to I share four practices today, and that's the title of the message. Four practices to repair and grow your marriage. Four things that you can do on a constant basis that will repair and grow your marriage. I believe that we are at the tail end right now of, of a, a moment that I call elective blissful ignorance. I feel like started probably in the beginning of the summer, maybe late, late uh, uh, spring, 
when we all felt a little bit of a semblance of normalcy and there was a little bit of freedom uh, to move about. And I feel like everybody, most people, didn't have the presence of mind to go from a pandemic and social unrest, to put it mildly, and a total all-out political war, to put it mildly, and go from that right into, let's resolve some of the issues that we have. I feel like most people went from that and like, let's get out somewhere. Let's go somewhere. Let's, let, let's get some fun. Get me out of here. And let's go have some fun. And so for the past four months or so, maybe five months, everybody's going everywhere. I got to travel a little bit in the summer, and I can tell you from first-hand experience, the airports were packed. Everybody was going everywhere. You probably experienced already gas prices are nearly doubled, right? Part of it is because we were like, nobody leaves the house, nobody leaves the house, nobody leaves the house, and then everybody, let's go everywhere. <laughs> Pack the van, let's, move, let's go. But now you begin to notice in the tail end of summer as we go back into our fall routines and there are some things that have lingered. There are some things that happened in the last 19 months that are still lingering. And that's catching up to our souls. Because wherever you go, whether you're in Mexico on a nice beach or you're at your home or at work, wherever you go, there you are. There you are, right? So things were said, felt, exposed, fights were had, and, and, and some of those things have lingered, and they need to be addressed. If I were to ask you, what's the most important thing that can repair a relationship, that can make relationships healthy, that can bring longevity to your relationship, to your marriage, to your close relationships, what would you say that thing is? I think that most of us would agree that love does it, right? We would agree that love is that thing that we need. We need real love in our relationships. We need real love, active love, present love in our marriages. We need love in our homes. If we're going to grow, if we're going to heal, if we're going to build homes that are strong and lasting, we need love. But love can be subjective. Love can be something ill-defined in our society. There is a biblical definition of, of love, but if you talk about love with people, you can say love to one person and they think it's one thing, and you say love to another and they think it's something else. So let's look at the biblical definition or the description of love. It's a very well-known scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. So I want to share four practical expressions of this kind of love, the God kind of love, that I think are essential for our marriages and close relationships. The first one is this, faithfulness. I'm going to go quick on this one. Faithfulness. There are three definitions that you can come to mind, come to your mind when you think of faithfulness. The first one is fidelity. It's a very important definition. It goes without saying that any good and close, positive relationship needs fidelity. 
that infidelity breaks the covenant of any relationship that's based on this kind of love. So fidelity is important. The second thing that comes to mind when you think of faithfulness is being filled with the God kind of faith and believing in God for everything. Now that's important too. It's important to have that level of faithfulness. Uh, you need fidelity and we need the presence of God in our marriage to thrive. But there's a third definition of faithfulness, which means steadfastness. It means this is it. It means we're stuck together like glue. It means it's, it's you and me. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. And we are committed. We're faithful to this relationship to one another. This is what happens. Too many people quit. Too many people give up. They start fantasizing, thinking about how great life would be if they didn't have this attachment or this relationship. Not realizing that once you're married... Once you're close, you're not the same person. So the, the image that you might have is not accurate. And entertaining those thoughts from, from the enemy will only lead you away from a happy marriage. So let me encourage you today. For a marriage to succeed, you have to commit to being committed. And we do have the, the filling in the blanks on the app if you want to follow the message. The scriptures are there and they're filling in the blanks there as well. I forgot to mention for a marriage to succeed, you have to commit to being committed. So let me encourage you today to commit to faithfulness. The second thing is this. I'm going sp to spend a little more time on this second point. Second thing is honor. Honor. There's a popular quote from the 1300s, and you've probably heard it. It says, um, familiarity breeds contempt. Have you heard that? It's a popular saying, right? The idea is that you can get so familiar with someone that you can forget how special they are. You can get so familiar with them that you can devalue them. And I like the way the philosopher Dallas Willard puts it because he, he expands the idea a little bit. He kind of breaks the steps of what actually happens psychologically. So he says, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. We end up becoming unfamiliar with the person. And then unsuspected unfamiliarity, we don't realize that we become unfamiliar, breeds contempt. And... The truth is that we can get so close to someone that we miss the special in them. It gets, it gets easy to overlook their excellence. It gets easy to overlook their potential because we paint a picture based on, on their shortcomings. Our mind paints a picture that resembles their failures. And that's not the prescription that the scripture gives us for any relationship. This is what the scripture says in Romans 12, 10. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. That's what it says. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's almost as though the apostle Paul was saying, if you want to be better than someone at something, be better than them at honoring them. If you want to be better than someone, just be better at, at them than honoring them. But that's not the natural tendency of our hearts, is it? That's not the natural tendency of close relationships, especially in marriage. The tendency of life is to get so familiar with the person that you see every single day that you let their humanity and, and, and your complacency to blind you to the amazing person that God made him to be. It's easy to lose honor. It's easy to think, it's just my husband. It's just my wife. It's easy to get to the point where, you know, that's just Joe being Joe. 
that's just Rachel being Rachel. It's, you know, you know how it is. Oh, you know Mary. You know how she does it. Let me tell you this. Don't let time, don't let trials or temptations cause you to look at the one you've loved completely once and think less of them. Don't let that happen. I've seen too many couples struggle because they stopped honoring each other. They lost sight of the amazing gift the other person was. They stopped pointing it out. They stopped acknowledging it. They stopped calling it out or encouraging it. Life became boring. Life became a routine of work, home, dinner, and TV. Work, home, dinner, and TV. And then you do that long enough and you think, we need some meaning. You begin to think, you need some meaning in your life. You need, you need, to, you need to bring some energy. So, so let's, ha let's have some kids. That'll do it. That'll solve the problem. And yes, kids bring meaning. Yes, kids are amazing. They're a gift from the Lord. They are. <laughs> But this is what they'll do to your routine. It'll go from home, work, dinner, TV to diapers, baby food, work, home, dinner, TV, no sleep. <laughs> And that doesn't do anything for your marriage, actually. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you said, honey, my love, my dear? <laughs> Not sarcastically. <laughs> I love how hardworking you are. I love how devoted you are. I love your sense of humor. I love how smart you are. I'm very proud of you. You're such a joy to live with. Like, I, I have joy in sharing my life with you. It's not always easy, but I have joy in sharing my life with you. You make me better. When was the last time you said that? If each, if each person, think about this. If each person's life is a book, right? Imagine that each person's life is a book. If that's true, then most people will only get to see the cover, a pretty nice cover. Some people will get to see the chapters. More people will read the introduction, but some people will get to see the introduction and the chapters. Friends will read through chapters and be part of the story. But you, you will read every single word of your spouse's life. Your spouse's book is open to you. And you get to see every chapter. You get to see every story. And most of the time, you help them write it. Most of the time, you're in it. You're part of their story. So my question to you is, which parts are you highlighting? Are you highlighting the bad parts? Are you highlighting the embarrassing parts? Are you highlighting the parts that are low, the parts that are sad, the parts that they don't really like. If so, I'm challenging you to change your pattern today and to get your highlighter, that's your words, that's your actions, and begin to highlight the good parts. Because you get to see it all. Remind them of their victories. Remind them of their talents. Remind them of their passions. When they're down and feeling defeated, don't say, oh yeah, I saw it coming. I hope it didn't surprise you, but... That was going to happen. 
No, don't do that. Encourage them. Lift them up. Remind them that their struggle is not who they are. That the difficulty, the setback does not define them. That they are bigger than that. See, my wife is brilliant. She really is. She is funny. We laugh every day. At least once we laugh. Every single day, at least once. Sometimes she laughs at me, but I'll, 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 do that. I'll, I'll make that offering. She's neat and she's organized. But that doesn't mean that everything she's ever done is brilliant, funny, and neat, and organized. Especially when she leaves the bottom drawer of the bathroom cabinet open every single day. Or uh, when they go grab the jelly jar and the top is just resting on top of it and not. Maybe she's saving her wrist from carpal tunnel. This is a really hard movement right here. That's not always funny. It's only funny sometimes. <laughs> but that's not what I highlight in our marriage, except when I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm only doing this because I have a point to make. Listen, honor removes hostility. Honor removes hostility. It lets, it lets your spouse know what you think of them. So then when you do have to talk about difficult things, when you do have to bring up some hard conversations, they don't have to guess what you think of them. They don't have to navigate your brain and go like, whoa, 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 where are you coming from? They know where you stand. We're not going to go home and have a two-hour conversation about jar lids because she's all offended because I made this joke. Not right. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. This is what's going to happen. She's going to make fun of me. And then she's going to say, I'm going to get you next time when I speak. You're going to see it. And then we're going to have a laugh. We're going to have a laugh about it. Why? Because these are not the things that I highlight in her book. She knows what I think of her. And honor, if you think of honor as a highlighter, each time you honor... Your words, your actions, they're elevating that thing. And you might be honoring the wrong thing. You might be elevating the wrong thing. You might be highlighting the wrong thing. So let me encourage you today. Highlight the good. Highlight the good. Honor carries a promise too. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Hold on, ladies. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, don't get caught up in the weaker vessel part, okay? Girl, girl power. Girl power. Marco, put down. Don't take the ideology of the world and try to make this something negative. It's not. This was a society where physical strength mattered. Power made might. There was no 911 to call. There was no office job with a desk. 99% of the people worked in physical labor. So the disparity between strength, of strength between men and women was very apparent in society. And everybody knew it. And what Peter is saying is this. He's writing, honor the weaker vessel. Everybody knows they're weaker in our society. Honor the weaker vessel. Physical strength. We're talking about muscle. Okay, why? Because they used to honor strength. Physical strength. 
The strongest person is the most honored. And Peter is saying, honor the weaker vessel because they are equals to you before God. God doesn't see you differently. He sees you equal. Since God, since before God you are equal, you got to honor her the same way. This is a text about equality. So if you honor your wife, that's what he's saying, God will hear your prayers. And this is to me God's version of feminism. He looks at the men and says, you want me to answer your prayers? Honor your wife. If you don't honor your wife, sorry, buddy. That's what the scripture is saying. Now, why does Peter single out men here? Because of what I said. Women were expected to honor their husbands in this society. So he didn't have to say that. But men, not so much. So this is about honoring each other. It's about leveling the playing field and honoring one another. So let me encourage you to choose that focus and honor each other, highlighting the good parts. The third thing, per, third practice, an expression of love for you to practice constantly in your marriage is this, number three, trust. Trust. Now, trust is twofold. And it goes without saying that trust is essential in any marriage or close relationship. Right? But here's why trust is twofold. Your husband, wife, he is unable to carry and fulfill uh, your hopes and dreams. He cannot do it. If he trusts you with it, you will fail. And you, wife, I guess I, I was talking to the wives. Let me read my notes, and this will be clearer. <laughs> you, husband, you are unable to carry and fulfill your wife's hopes and dreams. She can't trust you with it, and if she does, you will fail. You, wife, you cannot carry and fulfill your husband's hopes and dreams. He cannot trust you with it. He can trust you with his thoughts, his ideas. You can trust each other with the information, but not with the actual thing. If you try to put that pressure on him, he'll fail. To trust is to depend. To trust is to, to be persuaded. It's to lean completely on that person or on that thing. And trust in marriage goes as far as integrity, as far as truth, as far as trustworthiness, as far as sharing all of your heart and all of your thoughts and all of your ideas. But if you begin to put your hopes and your dreams, if you begin to put your hopes for your future, for life, and God forbid, your hopes for happiness on your spouse, your relationship will break eventually under that pressure. It's too much pressure, and it can't handle it. We are meant to trust the Lord with all that. We're meant to trust God with our hopes. We're meant, to, we're meant to trust God alone with our future and our joy. It is a fallacy to trust your wife or your husband to make you happy all the time. Listen, my wife makes me happy. I'm happy to be with her. But when I'm not happy, I don't blame her. Here are five very unwise words to put together. You don't make me happy. What is that? 
What is that? You don't make me happy. What does that even mean? What kind of burden is that to put on your spouse? That's a burden that nobody can bear. It's much better to say, cognitively, it's much better to say, you are making me unhappy. Because at least you can work with that. There's something that's being done. There's something that's happening that can be addressed. Something specific that's taking, marriage, that's taking happiness out of the marriage. So you can work with that. But you don't make me happy simply, makes, simply means you are responsible for my happiness. And right now I don't feel it. So what's up with that? I have put my trust for my own happiness on you, and you have failed. What is that? Please don't do that. Do not put that burden on your spouse. Do not put that burden on anyone else. Instead, do this. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In summary, trust God with your whole self and do the right thing. That's who we should trust with our dreams, our hopes, our joy. So here's how it plays out. You trust each other for the things that you share. You trust each other for the things that are mutual. You trust each other with your heart and you trust each other with your feelings as you are both trusting God for the things that only God can handle. See, I trust my wife with my money. She trusts me with money. Our money uh, is all together. It's all one pot. There's no mine or hers. It's just one thing. But we have a budget and we trust each other with it. I trust my wife with all my vulnerabilities. She knows everything that, has, that there is to know about me. And she has my best interests at heart. I know that. She has my back. She covers me. She covers my shortcomings. And in the same way, I do that. She knows that I have her best interests at heart and that I cover her shortcomings. I trust her with our kids. She trusts me with our kids. When she goes out of town, there's no list of directions for what I should do with the kids because she doesn't trust me. She knows I got it, and that's how we run our life. That's how we run our home. She also knows I'm going to do things my way, and she's fine with that. Same thing happens when I go out of town. When I go out of town, things will be a little different because she's going to do things her way. Things that I usually do, she's going to do it her way. And when I come home, things are a little different. I don't come home and say, why are these things different? Why didn't you do it the way I do it? No, I say, thank you for covering and doing what I was supposed to do when I was home. You did it. Great, because I know that she did her best. It's different. It's not worse or better. It's different. <laughs> it's just different. But when it comes to my future dreams, the things that I aspire, the things that I see, the things that I want to accomplish, I don't put that on her. The dreams of my heart go to God. It goes to Him. And some of you, you've put your dreams and hopes on your spouse. Maybe not your spouse. Maybe your boss. Maybe somebody at work. Maybe a friend. Maybe a family member. That's not good. Trust the Lord with that. And He will release your relationships from all that. When we felt called to move to Connecticut to start this church, I didn't say, honey, God spoke to me. We're moving to Connecticut. Just trust me on this one. And I will make you a fisher of women if you follow me. <laughs> and of men appropriately. No. 
I didn't say that. When I felt the call in my heart, I was like, okay, God. You're calling us to Connecticut. Guess what? I'm married. Do you know that? <laughs> my wife prays. She can hear from you. She can get the same prompting that I got, and you can communicate with her. If that happens, cool, we're in. If that doesn't happen, we're staying in Texas. Things are good. All right? And uh, I knew better than to do that, than to try to manipulate things. And that's exactly what happened. God spoke to Alenia. She shares a story of God, how God spoke to her and convicted her to move here so we could start this church. Um, it's a story that's a little bit different than mine because the way that God communicated to me and the vision that he gave me fit my heart and my passions. And the way that he communicated to her fit her heart and her passions. But they all work together. So then when it happened and we faced difficulties, she didn't look at me and say, hey, you told us to move here. Look at this now. She went to God. Hey, God, you told us to move here. There was no pressure in our marriage. There was no, nothing that one had to prove to the other. We were both trusting God, and that caused us to be at peace with each other. The weight was lifted. So let me encourage you to do that, to trust each other fully. But with your hopes and dreams and joy, just trust God and put that in God, on God together. Because as you trust each other, you can trust God together and encourage each other. The fourth one and the last one is this intimacy this is a really important a big one because marriage marriage is intimacy marriage is becoming one and marriage in the bible is the complete union of a husband and a wife in three areas spiritual emotional and physical marriage in the bible is not signing a paper at city hall that's not what that is it's a covenant between two people it's sacred between you and the other person. And God is in that. God is present in that covenant of marriage. The, the, the world standards for marriage doesn't really match what God has called us to do. See, the institution of marriage, there's a lot of people define the institution of marriage by stats in society. That's not how you define marriage. You, have, you define marriage by what it is. And marriage is holy. If any marriage is not holy, it's because the two people are not living up to what marriage is. Marriage is static. Marriage is an institution that stands for what it is. And there's something that we need to understand. It might shift your mind a little bit. Marriage is something you live up to. It's something you live up to. Like when somebody gets elected to an office, we just got a new mayor in town, right? So uh, the lady who's going to be our mayor, she was just living a private life. And she will live a private life until the end of this month. Beginning of December, she'll become our mayor. Immediately, she carries that office of mayor. The authority to do whatever a mayor does. Right? The same thing with a president. The president is an institution. Right? You attack the president. You don't, it's not the man, the person. You attack the institution. The moment the president leaves office, they are a private citizen. They lose all their power. Why? Because the... the the attributes remain in the institution. That's the same thing for marriage. Marriage is holy, and it's something that we live up to. And here is what the, the, how the Scripture defines marriage. And here's the reason also why it's holy. Some of you might not know this. Why marriage is a sacrament. And some churches actually have marriage as, as one of their main sacraments. Because marriage was established before sin entered the world. That's why it's holy. 
Before the original sin, there was marriage already in Scripture. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And all the men say, hey, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we're so immature. <laughs> you guys are so immature. <laughs> I love that passage. <laughs> See, marriage is to leave. That's powerful. Think about the capacity of, of leaving a reality that you're a part of and start a brand new thing. But you don't leave alone. You leave, you hold fast to your spouse. You hold fast and then you become one. That's what marriage is. It's to leave the past. To leave who you once were, to hold fast to your spouse and to become one together without any masks or clothing, apparently, according to this passage. That means to uncover yourself, right? Naked and unashamed means completely uh, uh, uncovered, completely open, to give yourself to the one you love completely, forever, to that one person, forever. One person, forever. See, there's no deeper and greater call in any human relationship than to leave the past behind and to join yourself with another one completely. And this is the best depiction that we have, natural depiction, of what a relationship with a person should be with God. When you leave everything behind and you join with that person in every single area. And this is not really teach, taught, taught anywhere. Not a lot of people are teaching this. What we, what we learn and what we are being indoctrinated every single day is that sex is a drug. Physical intimacy is, is, is something that to satisfy your craving. It's something that we do for ourselves. It's something for a time, for a moment, and then we move on. But that's, a, that's really a misuse of what God has called us to do. And that's what the enemy does. He takes what God has called to be precious, what he, what he did to, to, to call us up higher to the, to the excellent kind of life. And then he brings it down to something menial in, in, in something that is not the best. And nothing has been so distorted as intimacy in our society today. People don't know intimacy anymore. They don't know how to actually know someone and True intimacy in marriage, you have to have those, those three things. You got to leave the past behind. You start a new family. It's not like the guy doesn't join the lady's family, the lady doesn't join the guy's. It's a new thing that you begin. And it's your thing, only your thing. And you hold fast to each other. That, means, that doesn't mean that you're just in the same room. That means you hold fast to each other, you get to know each other. See, sleeping in the same room is not intimacy. Right? It's important to take time out of your busy schedule, out of everything that's going on. It's important for you to prioritize taking time to share your thoughts, share your feelings, and everything that's going on on the inside. You've got to do that with your spouse. It's not just about finding solutions. It's about the act of holding fast. You don't just share because you, you want to solve the problem. You share because you're holding fast to each other. 
It's about intentionally drawing near, intentionally staying together. And then you make room to become one flesh. And let me tell you this. Your marriage will not survive without true intimacy. That is a spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, and physical intimacy. Physical intimacy is not everything in a marriage, but your marriage will not survive without it. It really won't. Married couples need to be physically intimate on a regular basis. you got to let the good times roll, people. It's important to have an intimate space where nothing else in the world matters but your love for each other. That's very healthy and very important. A place where the only thing allowed is the two of you. Like the scripture says, naked and unashamed, completely. Where you can give of yourself in love to each other. In that place, there's no kids' problems. In that place, there's no bills. In that place, there's no political division. In that place, there's no pandemic. In that place, there's no social unrest. There's just the two of you together loving each other. So create that space in your marriage. And go there often. Several times a week. Be together. If you don't have that space, you need to set it up. And I'm not just talking about a physical space. Maybe if you have the room in your house, it is a physical space where nothing else enters that space. My wife and I, for many years, we've made our bedroom uh, that space. There's no TV. There's nothing that comes into that room uh, to distract us. Like we, we have, sometimes we'll read, but, you know, it's just, that's our space. That's where we talk. That's where we share heart. That's where we dream. That's where we pray together. That's, that's our space. And you need that. You need that, 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 that space that, that, that will get your mind, your, your, your spiritual posture, your physical posture to, to each other. You'll give to each other in that space. Everything else stays on the outside. See, that kind of intimacy will make you better. You will grow. You will help each other grow. You will op- it'll open your heart to each other. It will strengthen your marriage. It'll make you stronger. Because you will know there's no part of you that is alone. There's no part of you that's hidden. There's somebody who sees it. There's someone who loves you for it. And there's somebody helping you uh, grow. It's, it's mutual love and mutual understanding. You are loved and you are seen. And that spiritual and emotion and physical intimacy is the best way to safeguard your marriage and to keep your love strong. So let me recap. Practice faithfulness. That means steadfastness. Stay, stay, stay in power, right? Honor. Highlight the good parts, not the bad parts. Every day, highlight the good parts. Trust. Trust each other with your heart and information and trust God with everything. And then intimacy. Practice constant spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy if you're married, and you will see God will take it to a new level. Your relationships will be repaired, and you will see new levels of growth in your life. Do you receive it today? Amen. Amen. Listen, let me call the worship team back. I hope this was.